the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's actually your show. Welcome back. 602 is the number. We are delighted, as we are every Tuesday, to be joined by Hugh Holman and Lewis Holman. Lewis Holman is the managing director of Inside Analytics, Inside Analytics, LLC. Hugh Holman is so many things. He is... Of course, a practicing attorney, an educator, um, and uh, the former mayor of Tempe as well, and a million other things. Welcome back, gentlemen. It's good to have the band back together. I'm delighted to be here, and I'm delighted that Lewis now gets top billing. I have. Well, we do it alphabetically. Ah, good. Yeah. Hallman or Hallman. That's yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I don't know where to start, except I'll tell you what I was Your saying. Listeners are just wondering how L becomes comes before H, but I'm good with that too. Yeah. Well, I I, I do it alphabetically and but reverse yeah, reverse see, alphabetically. See, that's it. <laughs> yes. Um, what I wanted to tell you uh, was an update. I wanted to give you an update, much along the lines of uh, breaking news. Jury still deliberating. Um, Yesterday, uh, you could not turn on the television before noon without the lead story, be it on cable or on um, network news, that one person had died in the United Kingdom with or from the Omicron variant of the coronavirus, which immediately prompted the skilled ear to say, well, tell us more about this fatality. Was this person aged? Were they vaccinated? None of that was to come forward. None of that was to be um, uh, to, to be reported. And as of today, it still isn't to which I can only conclude this person was probably aged and vaccinated. I've and learned fat, I've learned to read. Exactly yeah, go ahead. Say. I'll let many, you go off many on comorbidities. Yeah, They're probably diabetic. Yeah. Go ahead, Lewis. Well, uh, um, I think that the, the what we're seeing really with this is a continuation of this new habit that we've all formed since the pandemic began um, that, that has really just been continuing apace where we have now been led by the nose by our sort of Brahmin class of experts, you know, who would have us uh, uh, listen to whatever they say uncritically and accept whatever comes out of their mouths. And, and whatever they say is apparently science now. Um, so, so it's lovely. Uh, and that that now the corporate press has found a a renewed duty to shepherd us from ourselves so that we we don't you know run the risks of uh contaminating everyone by exercising basic human liberties yeah i think that's right and i think that this is part of a pattern that we've seen in a lot of journalism lately right we we keep threatening to to teach a course on media bias as, as well as op-ed writing. But media bias, uh, you, you can almost now discern the facts that are not reported, which are interestingly often the facts that are most relevant. I have one of those, actually. Yeah? Yes, a very interesting fact that is not reported. Mm -hmm. So uh, today I downloaded a car did not drive itself, by the way, in, <laughs> in, in 
Waukesha, just so you know. It wasn't a car that drove <laughs> right. itself. Yeah. Okay, go so, on. So today I, I downloaded a big panel data set from the CDC, and it contains the preliminary deaths by sex and age in total, monthly, and yearly for the United States and all 50 states. So it's a really, really great set of data to have and to sort of start looking through. Because something that you'd brought up, Seth, that was interesting to me, um, that we're seeing different sort of compositional effects in who is dying by age. And so I wanted to investigate that. And I, I actually, I didn't get around to it because something weirder jumped out at me. <laughs> I love it. Something weirder jumped out. Uh, and, and what I noticed looking at this data, so currently the United States has had just about 790,000 COVID deaths, of which... Uh, 385,000 happened in 2020, and a little, about 405,000 have happened in 2021. Now, what's really weird about that, you, you would just conclude naively that we're having more COVID now that everyone has is, is been vaccinated. I mean, to be fair, uh, all of 2020 wasn't consumed by the pandemic. It started in March. We didn't start getting deaths until February. So this isn't quite apples to oranges data, but there's, there's still some weird stuff in here. The really weird part of it to me is the prevalence of pneumonia in the data. So there are three broad respiratory categories of death that we're having that the CDC is tracking in this data set. It's influenza, it's pneumonia, and it's COVID-19. So for instance, in 2020, we had a total of, let me see here, uh, just about a million respiratory deaths in the United States, give or... Take. All causes. Let me get the total right All here. causes, including influenza, including flu. Oh, I'm sorry, not that many. Excuse me, way too many. It's 564,000 for okay. 2020. Okay. Now, that's all causes, COVID and flu. Right. Now, All respiratory causes. All respiratory. But what's interesting is if you took take the, the total number of COVID cases, that would be 385,000, keep in mind, and the total number of pneumonia cases, which is 350,000, well, that's significantly more than 560,000, isn't it? There's a lot of overlap between pneumonia cases and COVID cases. Specifically in Arizona, 70% of both are overlap. So 70% of all COVID cases co-vary with pneumonia. 70% of all pneumonia cases co-vary with COVID. Okay. So when I say that, he tells me I'm wrong, but it's okay. Overlap. Well, you... you, you all right. So we we checked the math and... and keep it outside. All right. We'll, we'll do that. We'll do that. So what's weird about all of this? We've got massive co-variation with pneumonia. What's weird is that the COVID diagnoses we're given are getting fuzzier. So what do I mean by that? If you look at the total number of COVID diagnoses in the U.S. over 2020, 53% of them were COVID-19 only. Okay. So they didn't have anything else. Just COVID-19 is half of those cases. Well, if you look at the 2021 figures, it's only 40%. Okay. 40% are distinct. And so... In the media, everything is being counted as if it's a COVID death. But what we're seeing instead is a massive confluence of pneumonia deaths being lumped in into the COVID section. And so while we're uncritically hearing 780,000 COVID deaths, the total number of those that we can cleanly attribute to only COVID-19 is only 380,000. In both years. In both years. All in. And All in. Keeping in mind that we've we've complained about this sort of problem from the beginning, that when it serves the purpose to turn us into sheep, herding us into uh, pens, the numbers are overstated with no uh, explanation of why and how it's being done. In contrast, 
when the federal government wants to explain that there are breakthrough cases, they included, at least until they took the data down, they included on the CDC website a statement that many of the people going into the hospital and who were testing positive for COVID and had been vaccinated were breakthrough cases, weren't really COVID cases because, in fact, the person was in an automobile accident and was injured and taken into the hospital for the automobile accident, and they just happened to test positive for COVID-19. That is exactly the kind of manipulation with this data that has been going on from the beginning. So if it uh, helps push people into the pens, if it helps push the narrative that we all need to kowtow to those who want to exercise greater governmental control over our lives, then they'll expand the data set to fit that narrative. When it misserves their point, that is, breakthrough cases are occurring and that the vaccine isn't perfect and those kinds of things, they just stop reporting the data entirely. Now we only still know COVID cases over the entire population, no data about whether or not those are breakthrough cases, people who've been vaccinated or not. So about this, though, with the with the pneumonia issue, right, if we're moving from half of the cases in 2020 co-occurring with pneumonia to 60 percent in 2021 co-occurring with pneumonia, part of me wonders how we are actually measuring and counting this and the degree to which so many people are dying from pneumonia, not necessarily because they're getting COVID-19, but because they're packed into congregate hospital settings, we have more more interaction in the healthcare system, and a significantly wider tranche of the American public than in any normal year going into hospitals and out of hospitals as a matter of uh, of circulation, as it were. Though not more bed, though no more beds are occupied, the number of people traveling through hospitals is increasing. So this this makes me wonder very much the degree to which this this huge increase in pneumonia is actually a result of either antibiotic resistant strains of it or healthcare induced strains of it because those are how pneumonia happens regularly yeah. is you get it a lot of the time in hospitals mm-hmm. and so how much of this is due to our again our response to the virus and then taking those those bad responses from the healthcare industry and then using them to inflame the severity of the virus and thus increase more overreactions to it we have created a very ugly feedback loop for ourselves here which includes a very potentially much higher number of COVID, or well, really a much higher reported number of COVID deaths than actual COVID deaths. Exactly. Well, Your theory, again, based on a lot of this research, has been that we may be doubling the number of actual COVID deaths. And, and this back of the napkin holds up to that. Yeah. yeah. We were researching originally the age. Keeping in mind, we call it dying with COVID or from COVID, and we're not reporting the difference. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right, more on this when we come back. Uh, And any questions, of course, the Holmans love to take as well. 602-508-0960. This is interesting. Mark Stein writes that despite more than 80% of the elderly population fully vaccinated in the United States, they've been dying at the same rate pre-vaccine stage. Slightly less, but basically the same. Not Not very different. Really interesting. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. A mutual friend of Hughes and mine. Actually, Lewis is too. Lewis knows him as well. Steve says that is the most optimistic song, most optimistically conservative song in rock and roll, uh, Forever Young. And it was given to us by Bob Dylan. Rod Stewart um, made it uh, popular yet again. Hugh Hallman, um, you heard your son. You heard Lewis uh, on COVID. I want to take a call, too, unless you want to make a point first before we take 
go to the calls. Well, just the, the entire point of dying with or from yep. COVID. Yeah. And the idiocy we've dealt with from, from the beginning is that the U.S. has a 60-day standard under which it considers somebody to have died from COVID. You're marked as a COVID death if you die any time in the 60 days after you've tested positive or prov- been proven positive for COVID. So, yes, you may have died having had COVID, but uh, if you're in an automobile accident and you had COVID, that should not be a COVID death. And yet, and yet we mark it. We mark it that way. This has been a concept that we've all talked about since August of last year when the United Kingdom itself changed from using a 60-day standard of its own accord uh, to a 28-day standard. And then they, they actually had an Oxford study that then gave us these numbers that indicated that there was about a 50% drop. So we, we are citing that source. So that would say that the U.S., the reason the U.S. looks so bad in these numbers is that it's likely or p- quite highly likely that the U.S. is reporting about 50% more deaths or attributed per, to per, COVID. That would be 100% than, more deaths. Uh, 100% per more deaths though, attributed. Right, 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 right. right. Than, than we should based on how other countries are counting COVID deaths. If in, in those other countries, if, if your COVID test was 30 days ago and you dropped dead, you're not a COVID death. Exactly. So it, it is the, the case that, in fact, more white people die in the United States because when they die, they're still white. Mm-hmm. As an example, that's the kind of idiotic that's exactly uh, right. uh, uh, approach we're taking. Yeah, here. no, that's the illustration. Let's take a quick call on this. Betsy is in Phoenix. Hello, Betsy. You're on with me, Lewis and Hugh Hallman. Hi, Derek. Dr. Betsy wants to know the answer to this question. Um, government manipulation of statistics is nothing new, but do they differentiate between bacterial and viral pneumonia? And if so, is the bacterial in any way related to this mandatory mask wearing that is required? I mean, that seems prima facie. That question is pregnant with implications. One, and, it really is a wonderful question. Yeah. Just the fact that Dr. Betsy is making the point that there are two different main kinds of pneumonia yeah. that we exhibit, one uh, bacterial, the other uh, viral, and they they spread somewhat differently, but one is a little bit more challenging than the other. But go ahead, Lou. Show, uh, tell, her, tell her about what the CDC does. Well, the CDC data does not, in fact, disaggregate its pneumonia data. <laughs> it, it, In fact, uh, it lumps them in, there are actually only two columns that include, I'm sorry, three columns that include pneumonia. The first is pneumonia deaths, which is all pneumonia deaths, including those that co-vary with influenza and COVID. They then give you pneumonia and COVID-19 deaths, including, which are, are, are those who died with both pneumonia and COVID-19. And then they give you a column that is pneumonia, influenza, or COVID deaths, which I'm using as those big three respiratory disease death markers. Uh, um, And so, no, they do not disaggregate that data. They do not give you bacterial versus viral. And there is no substantive effort currently that I am aware of to to measure the efficacy or the the effect of wearing dirty cloth masks on your face and the prevalence of pneumonia. So here's why I'm laughing is because we now have signs plastered in every public restroom or on on in the United States. Wash your hands after going to the bathroom. Now, of course, we've long had the signs that say employees must wash their hands after using the restroom. One always wonders, why do we have to have these signs? Did we not learn as children that we should wash our hands after using the restroom? Yeah, no, and I, I've or occasionally... before handling food anytime. Uh, something like that. Yeah. But, you know, I've, uh, I've occasionally uh, seen the arrogant fellow walk in and wash his hands first and not do so afterward. Uh, that's somebody who thinks a lot of himself. Uh, but in this instance, you've, uh, the right question is... Betsy, that people are not changing their masks very often. 
and many use the same mask day after day after day without washing it. Of course, it's likely that they're starting to capture all kinds of things in those masks that they then continue to contaminate themselves with. So wearing masks only works if you treat them as the medical devices they're intended to be and not as the old socks that most people uh, use them as. That's that's beautifully said, Hugh, and I want to add to it. I want to add to it because the people who are ardent about mask wearing, I'm going to guarantee you right now 90% of them are not using the mask rightly. They are not using the mask as advised. The CDC has a very good page on how to wear a mask, how to take off a mask, how to use a mask, how not to wear a mask, how not to take off a mask. And, of course, they didn't explain that to the president of the United States. I was States. just going to say, I'm if sorry, you want a Seth. model of someone who doesn't use the mask well while lecturing us on the use of masks, it's the president of the United States who futzes around with it, touches his nose, coughs into his hand, picks it up, puts it down, picks it up and puts it down. Let me ask you something. Sorry for stepping on your line. It, it's not a line. It's okay. Uh, we operate that way here. But... but uh, let me just let me just ask you, anyone who you know who uses a mask or if you are a mask wearer or even an, someone who believes very strenuously, very strongly in the use of masks, um, do you take it off the way you're supposed to? Do you only handle it by the ear loops or ties and never touch the front part of it? Do you? And if the mask is reusable... Do you wash it once a day? That is what you're supposed to do. So until you're complying with the way you're supposed to wear a mask, I don't want to hear about mask wearing because I know you're not doing it the way the CDC is telling you to do it. I know you're not. Well, you see it across the use uh, spectrum. People who pull it off their faces and drop it down as a chin strap while they're drinking or eating something and then pull it back up. Uh, you see them hanging, dangling from ears because it's now a, a fashion statement that one is signaling one's virtue by continuing to wear one's masks on an ear as it dangles there as, as a piece of, of uh, clothing. When we have these mandates, when we have signs that are now all over our society saying, wash your hands, one has to ask, what were you doing before? And if you weren't doing it before and we think signs are going to make that difference, do you really think signs are going to make that difference? I don't know if the signs are. I will, I will admit I made an error. I said something incorrect. I said you're supposed to wash it once a day if it's a reusable mask. Should be per use, right? It's wrong. At least once a day, it says. Mm -hmm. At least once a day. I just thought that that was important instruction. And by the way, you're supposed to wash your hands after putting it on and taking it off. No one is doing this. Well, I know at least one person who does. She washes her hands about 300 times a day. That's my bride. She's a doctor, and she, she is an expert at these things. But that's because she has been in her clinic every single day since the beginning of the pandemic while the suits sit in their uh, houses uh, too afraid to come out. The best uh, interview I saw uh, yesterday was on CNN with Jake Tapper and interviewing Amy Klobuchar at the CNN desk together, both of them without masks, talking about how Amy Klobuchar was put at risk by Senator Ted Cruz sitting in the Senate next to him while he wasn't wearing a mask. My favorite interview of all time. I'm Seth Leibson. They're the Hallmans. We will be right back.
Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. Hugh and Lewis Holman, my guests. And since we don't live or die by COVID alone, uh, the Holmans always come in with a whole series of interesting things that they think the audience might enjoy. And Lewis, some of which Seth lets us put on. Yeah, some of which. I, <laughs> you should see I what doesn't never, make it. I have never said no to a topic, have I? I've, I I've, not, so. I've asked for clarification because I didn't understand it, but I don't think I've ever said no. No, no, you're, you're pretty permissive. It's kind yeah, of surprising. We're very promiscuous. promiscuous. <laughs> Lewis, you had an interesting thing you were working on with regard to Absolutely. the intelligence quotient. So it's, it's, this is not my uh, uh, spiel. I'm, I'm stealing wholesale from Jordan Peterson, who is smarter than I am. Uh, but it's a fabulous statistic, and it is that it is illegal – in the United States to induct anyone into the military with an IQ of less than 83. Now, it's very interesting. Uh, About 10% of the population has an IQ of less than 83. And this is a a fascinating statistic because it's exactly the sort of thing that the institution who found it has every incentive to not want to find. And so that that to me implies that it's it's a very powerful statistic. And, And the reason I say that is that the military really wants to get as much manpower as it can humanly get. Not, or, yeah. Just be, not only because it, it creates a more effective military, but also because the military in this country is a tremendous or, uh, 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 force for social and, and economic development um, via the GI Bill and all sorts of other things. And so the military, since the 20s, I believe, has been very, very interested in intelligence research. And what they found is that there is not a single task, not a single task from peeling potatoes to standing guard to anything else that they can train someone with an IQ of less than 83 to do that is not positively counterproductive. And that's very interesting to me that that fully 10 percent of the population cannot be trained to do the most basic and menial tasks in a in a way that adds long run value to an organization that desperately would like them there. And, and the reason that this is so powerful is that it blows a hole into a lot of the narrative surrounding equality and, and what our state should be doing. On the left, it's very common to dismiss all failures economically and socially as a result of, of systemic forces, that systemic racism is keeping people down. And if only we could get rid of these barriers, then the utopia would emerge. And I... That can't be the case. If if 10% of the population is nigh untrainable, then no amount of removing barriers is going to help them. This is also – this has corollaries on the right as well because if the best that you can do with focus and effort is drooling slightly less into your cup, then no amount of pulling yourself up by your bootstraps is going to get you anywhere. And so how do we as a just society deal with the fact that – there is enormous variance in the human condition and it has profound and real effects on us. Do you accept, by the way, the notion that anyone lower uh, with an IQ lower than 83 is not trainable? Um, I, I think in aggregate, that's probably true. I, I think that individually, you are, are probably certain to find exceptions. Okay. But I would, I would say the exceptions are more likely than the rule that's being espoused. The point would be, though not to be lost is that in a just society, we have people who are, even if they exert their best efforts, are not going to achieve a level of self-sustaining ability or a self-sustaining activity that they can supply their food and clothing and shelter and everything else. 
But I believe, as conservatives, we have had lots of conversation about this because I grew up working for a guy named Barry Goldwater and then ultimately a guy named Ronald Reagan, both of whom understood that there should be a safety net for people who give it their best shot, and then we supply them assistance. But we can never supply the assistance in a way that destroys their own humanity. And when we supply assistance too easily to people who aren't trying their hardest, aren't trying their best, we turn them into uh, people, people with who, IQs maybe in one, the 120 or higher range. Who then right? just become right. slugs. Right. And so now we have created a dependence society that is absolutely anathema to this society's creation of individual liberty and freedom. I want to, you want to make a point, then I want to go back to a point you made. Go oh, ahead. no, no, by all, by all means. Go I ahead. just wanted you to flesh out a little bit. Maybe we'll do it on the other side, and we have some callers, too, on the mask issue we'll get to. But on the I wanted you to flesh out just a little bit more that equality or equity point you were making. Yeah, let's do it. When uh, you I would really appreciate that. Now, uh, yes, that would be fine. I, there's a clarification. It's unnecessary. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. do that. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. I want to come back to the intelligence and equity point that uh, Lewis Hallman was making. But before I do, let me go to uh, a couple calls on the mask issue. Mike Leo, gosh, great supporter of uh, the station, of course, uh, Benefit Air. Mike, hi. How are you, sir? Hey, good evening, Seth. I'm doing very good. It's nice good. to how talk to you. Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas to you. Thank you. You know, I was just driving home from the airport um, and uh, I caught your conversation on the mask thing and the uh, and the willful ignorance behind it. And um, now you guys are talking about intelligence as a factor. And I just wanted to say, I think, I think from what I have seen, that um, it's really more of a spiritual issue than anything. And I'll tell you why. First of all, because the Bible talks about the end days and how he will darken the minds of those um, who are not his and they will believe things that are false, and things that are true they will not believe. So you see that specifically with the mask issue in this. It doesn't take a whole lot of intelligence to explain to somebody the difference in size between the virus and the passageways through the cloth fiber of your mask, and that the fact is it's like throwing sand on a chain-link fence. You don't have to be a well, genius to figure that yeah, out. The only thing, I, I, and I'm not expert on this, but what, as I have understood it, is that the droplets attach to those things that the mask blocks. Yes, That's how yes, it, I hear that. But yeah. you do remember the very first video, the very first yes, um, response sure. Anthony Fauci released yep. regarding the often. ineffectiveness of the mask, you right? You bet. you bet. So, so he's an admitted liar. Then he turned around and said, well, he only said that because he was worried about masks as a shortage, but... There's no shortage of cloth for masks now. Is there? <laughs> in fact, lots of us were uh, subject, own, to, yeah, subject yeah. to getting some from uh, from uh, mothers-in-law and other sort of elderly people. Mike, thank you uh, for your call and, more important, for your support of this station. Absolutely. Um, the the reality is that I, I like the analogy of throwing sand through a chain-link fence, but as Seth is pointing out, what we really have is as human beings – uh, the viruses are attached to the droplets that we're emitting from our respiratory system, and so it's Spittle. more like it's more like yeah. uh, throwing a mud ball at a chain link fence, and some of the grains of sand are in the mud ball, and uh, that mud ball has a more uh, a greater likelihood of being stopped. And so, uh, do masks actually prevent illness and spread of illness? We know that to be the case, 
because we're seeing such a huge drop in things like flu and other illnesses that are trans, uh, transmitted in, in similar ways. And so we are having some success in the reduction of respiratory diseases. Lewis's earlier point was, of course, uh, we're still calling COVID deaths COVID deaths, even though it's as likely or more likely that the person died because they also had pneumonia. Or, and were uh, uh, diabetic, among other things. And so when you look at the comorbidities and the fact that the U.S. is still playing games with how we count COVID deaths with 60 days from a test versus uh, European 28 days and other kinds of things, it is just plain simple that the data has been terribly manipulated and makes it very difficult to make decent, sensible policy decisions. And the tendency and the bias is to allow government to expand and to reduce liberties, uh, except in the instance when we're talking about people who have been vaccinated, in which case we don't want to talk about it. That, that That's exactly right. I, I think you've covered my... Uh, the o- the only thing I, I can't resist that. is the issue of Ma- Anthony Fauci being an admitted liar. He is, and it's on that Yes, issue. but it was for our own good. It was for well, our own good. It was on that good. issue, but it was also on the herd immunity issue, yes. and this is widely available for anyone who wants to look it up. He changed the numbers on herd immunity from 60 to 70 to 70 to 80, from 80 to 90, and he, when called on it, said specifically, I just didn't think the country was ready for the real number. He admitted he was lying to the American people. And he's also wrong. So there are lots of right. smarter people than Anthony Fauci who haven't cashed in uh, on their uh, positions in government in order to feather their nests who look at the data fairly carefully and suggest herd immunity gets reached in the 80, 85 percent range and sometimes lower and sometimes higher. And that in this instance, when you look at the fact that, for example, in the state of Arizona, we have 92 percent of our people 65 and older who are vaccinated. So they have a a, uh, a, a created immunity. Then of that population, based on the number of cases we have, uh, when you add all things together in the state of Arizona, Lewis hates it when I do this kind of numbering in the state of Arizona, Assuming no overlap between vaccination and the people who've had COVID, you have something like five and a half million people who have some form of immunity. Now, Lewis properly points out there's a lot of overlap. We just don't know how much. And this is my complaint. We don't know how much because it's the breakthrough cases where we don't have the data to tell us who had, uh, was vaccinated then got COVID, and we were too stupid to collect data on the proportion of the population that had gotten COVID before we had vaccines so we could understand what percentage of the population had been exposed, how many asymptomatic cases there were, and that would have told us a lot. So we have two sets of data where there are overlaps, people who had COVID and then got vaccinated and people who were vaccinated and got COVID, so you've got double immunity in those kinds of folks, among other things. We might actually be at or above herd immunity. And with the new variants coming along, that herd immunity has some chinks in that armor, kind of like a chain link fence. But at, at some point, if we had real data that the government wasn't hiding from us, we would have a much better idea as policymakers and as, and as citizens of what kind of decisions to make. But by the way, the fact that the government is hiding it from us. It's not because of a lack of resources. Anyone who has worked in a nonprofit, you've run schools, Hugh, you know this. Lewis, probably you've seen this with certain government uh, agency contracts you may have been uh, privy to or worked on. The government, it's an amazing amount of money they have to study the things they want to. In fact, Rand Paul every year puts out a study on how many silly things they research, you know, the love life of uh, dodo birds Mm -hmm. interacting with mosquitoes, et cetera. A survey on the use of Alaskan highways. (laughs) Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. There is so, 
and they aren't research, they're either researching this or not but it's not by lack of money it's 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 for lack of interest well we knew they were collecting the data cuz they had it on the CDC website and took it down well this is also one of those things Seth where as soon as you create an institution with an with an interest an asymmetric interest yeah. right you've hired a researcher to study the mating habits of certain butterfly species you can't then fire that person because they're going to protest immensely against the decision exactly it's hard right. to don't have the resources to do it yeah yeah, exactly right. We'll be right back. We're doing the walk of life here a little bit. Uh, Lewis Hallman, take us out, brother. So we had talked a bit earlier in the show about this idea that it is illegal to induct anyone to the American Armed Forces if they have an IQ of less than 83. And the reason that this is an incredibly important idea and statistic is that that means that, broadly speaking, a, a very large swath of our society is somewhat untrainable. And so in the, in, in the West, we've had this sort of idea bubbling for the last 200 years since the French Revolution. And it's the idea of a, a tabula rasa or blank slate, that humans are effectively – that we have no internal nature – that we are the products of the societies that we come from. And this is, this is central, for instance, in, in Marxist thought, that if you can shape the structure of the society, because human beings have no nature, right, right. you can you know, output any kind of circumstance that you want. But the idea that 10% of our population has an IQ of less than 83 and therefore is nigh unemployable demolishes this because their tabulas are not rasa. Mm-hmm. Their, their slates are... Their, their, their They're, slates are blank, but will remain blank. Exactly. There, there is a limited amount of education that they can get. They cannot be computer programmers or, or engineers in all likelihood. And so the notion on the left that we are a systemically racist wasteland and all that we have to do to, to achieve you know, success and prosperity is to free ourselves of these self-imposed shackles is, is just wrong categorically. It cannot not be wrong. There is there's too much difference in the human condition for such shallow and and small reaching thought and analysis to to offer any kind of real solution. Just as I prefer not to assume evil when idiocy is just as likely to explain bad behavior by government. One should also stop assuming racism is the answer to everything and perhaps understand that maybe it is uh, demographics like age. Mm Uh, or lack of education. Yes, some of those can be as a result of challenges. I will also say IQ is the most highly studied variable in the social sciences. And if you deny its existence, then you, my friend, are a science denier. (laughs) Hallman's thank you. Audience, thank you. Well done. Bless you all until tomorrow. Class dismissed. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.